All television is educational television. The question is, what is it teaching? Nicholas Johnson, FCC Commissioner, 1966 to 1973, and author of the book, How to Talk Back to Your Television Set. You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Michael Rich. Dr. Rich is an assistant professor of pediatrics at Harvard Medical School and an assistant professor of society, human development, and health at the Harvard School of Public Health. He is the director of the Center on Media and Child Health and director of the Video Intervention Prevention Assessment Program at Children's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. Today we are discussing holding the media responsible for outcomes. Welcome, Dr. Rich, and thanks for joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you. So how did you get into a career of pediatrics in the media? I tried to get into a career of pediatrics after having been a filmmaker for 12 years, and I got outed by a former colleague who happened to bring his child into our emergency room. And once outed, the folks here at Children's in Boston insisted that I bring these two bodies of knowledge and experience together and start to use media tools to advance child health in various ways. Is this incorporated into the pediatric teaching at Children's Hospital in Boston? Could somebody, I know it's not an organized fellowship, but if somebody wanted to become involved in the use of media in pediatrics, do you have a training program? Well, I am in the Division of Adolescent Medicine here at Children's that has one of the Maternal and Child Health Bureau Adolescent Medicine Training Grants, and we have had several medical fellows come through and do their research component with us at the Center on Media and Child Health. So while it is not a dedicated just media and child health program, it certainly has as much of it as you could possibly want as part of the adolescent medicine training. One of my truly favorite Americans, Homer Simpson, said... (laughs) He's not real. No, he's not? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, I got fooled by TV again. Oh, yeah. I just have to keep you honest here. (laughs) But he is quoted to having said, television, teacher, mother, secret lover. How do you react and respond to that? Look at Homer. (laughs) (laughs) I think that for Homer, he's actually correct. And actually, for many of us, it is teacher and mother in the sense of feeding us our, you know, mother's milk of information, entertainment, and, you know, soothing entertainment and diversion. So I think that Homer speaks for many of us, but in a way that is far more insightful than most of us in the way we use our media. But I mean, I trusted my teachers and certainly my mother and, well, I don't have a secret lover, but, you know, I'd get killed for that one. But TV, you just can't trust them. They don't take responsibility for what they're doing. I mean, you and I can't yell fire in a crowded theater, but that doesn't stop them from doing just that. I hate to say it, but I think that you're the exception, not the rule in not trusting television. I think that many, if not the majority of people, trust that if it is on television, it is true to a certain degree. And I think that's why the television news media has such great power in terms of changing things like our political environment, our attitudes toward the environment, toward each other. And many times these basically fictitious formulations of the way the world is, and I'm including the news stories in that, have very profound effects and can do great good. The problem is, is that they don't have 
a system of quality control for really verifying that these are accurate. I mean, even journalistic standards that newspapers are held to are not observed routinely in television news because it moves so quickly. The standards not exist or they're just not applied? I think that they exist and they are both not applied consistently and they're not understood consistently. I think that if you were to do a survey of news directors across the country, you would get a lot of different answers and a great deal of variation among those answers. So there is no ratings body per se or credentialing? In fact, television news and sports are exempt from even the creaky and pretty ineffective television rating system that exists. To get back to a specific that premiered recently on ABC television, the program Eli Stone, the storyline was a parent of an autistic child blames and successfully sues the vaccine manufacturer. The American Academy of Pediatrics was unsuccessful in stopping ABC from airing the episode. Of note, this is actually a lawsuit that is currently pending. What's the fallout from this going to be, and what can we do to combat these things in the future? Well, unfortunately, the fallout from this is that much research would indicate that somewhere around but slightly over half of the people who watch a program such as that use that information either explicitly or implicitly as the truth in their understanding of and acting on medical issues. The reason the American Academy of Pediatrics was concerned about this issue is that really nowhere in the program did anybody bring up the fact that there's absolutely no scientific data that supports any kind of connection between vaccinations and autism? And indeed, there is not. There have been tens of millions of dollars expended to try to find such a connection, in part because several powerful lawmakers children or grandchildren have been diagnosed with autism and they were seeking someone to blame. But ultimately, the upshot of this is is that people will either directly or sort of by being immersed in an environment that tells such a story without being challenged, make decisions on whether to vaccinate their children or not on the basis of that show. One wrinkle in that plot was that the pivotal decision of the jury rested on the fact that the vaccine manufacturer's CEO did not give his own child their vaccine. Yeah, what, a, um, which, what a chintzy way of sticking that into the script. Right, I mean, exactly. Just... Well, I mean, but what it sets up is the assumption that 12 reasonable people faced with the data they were provided decided that there was enough of a relationship between the vaccine being administered and the child developing autism that they awarded the case to the plaintiff. Do you think this is going to help affect the real case that's pending? One would hope not, but I have become in the last eight years increasingly cynical about our judicial system and its ability to reach some semblance of the truth. I think one interesting thing is that the way we as physicians and scientists come to our understanding of fact is entirely different than the way that the law does or that the press does. And most people are exposed far more to the press and to the law and they're winning and losing on the basis of how well information can be spun or how well a rhetorical argument can be built and less contact with the actual science which can test and disprove or prove various connections. 
I'd like to welcome those who are just joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I'm speaking with Dr. Michael Rich, and we're discussing holding the media responsible. I want to get back to the responsibility issue. Renee Jenkins, regarding the Eli Stone episode, wrote a letter to Ann Sweeney, president of Disney, which is kind of ironic considering Disney World and all the stuff for kids, and here they are poisoning them with bad information. But what can you do? But she wrote in her letter, and I quote, ABC will bear responsibility for the needless suffering and potential deaths of children from parents' decisions not to immunize based on the content of the episode. But responsibility, like, you know, break my heart, they are culpable. And, you know, why isn't there a lawsuit by someone whose relative, somebody whose child was harmed by copycat behavior, by following something they saw on television? Certainly the violence is, you know, all over TV. And somebody gets harmed or somebody gets killed. Why is there not a lawsuit against the network? Maybe that would cause them to, you know, stop and think what they're doing. I hate to say it, but I think there are a lot of factors that are involved such that that sentence was probably read by Ann Sweeney with a guffaw. And the first and not least of which is our sacred First Amendment, our freedom of expression, freedom of speech, which is something that is to be treasured, something that we all want, but that often is used by media producers and production companies and distribution companies as a shield from any sort of responsibility for the way that their material may cause people to behave. I think the Second Amendment's part of the problem, too. It's the right to bear arms. <laughs> right. Yeah, because we have this cowboy mentality in our country. Yeah, yeah, in a sense. And I'll tell you, because I have you know, been on Capitol Hill testifying on the research data around various aspects of media influence on young people in particular, since that's my area of specialty, and have been told with a straight face by the late Jack Valenti and other lobbyists for and apologists for the entertainment industry that there's absolutely no evidence out there that media can change people's attitudes or behaviors. Now, this is coming from a business that makes its money from changing behavior through what <laughs> we call advertising. Yeah. And so they are either incredibly unaware or probably are speaking out of both sides of their mouth when they say that media can't change behavior. And the reality is the more controversial they can create program material, the happier they are because it draws more eyeballs to the commercials. And in fact, Eli Stone, without this controversy, probably would have had far fewer viewers because it's absolutely dreadful. But is this going to take legislation? I mean, we're culpable as physicians for what we do. We get the 100,000 Lives campaign from the Institute of Healthcare Improvement. Do we need Mothers Against violent television? Do we need a 100,000 lives campaign to make it personal to show the public that there are real lives being lost, that there's real harm here? My answer to that, at the risk of sounding like a politician, is yes and no. <laughs> we, okay. need, we need the 100,000 lives campaign. We need the mothers against false information on television, but we don't and won't be effective by doing it legislatively. Anything that smacks of restriction leads to an argument around censorship and anything that talks about quality control or ethics or meeting certain standards smacks of restriction to them. I think the way that it should be done is you change the marketplace. To quote a movie from 1975, 
we need to go to the window, throw it up, and yell out, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Falling down, and we right? we need to stop watching these shows. We need to stop buying the video games. We need to stop going to the movies that are harming our health or safety through either misinformation or through creating a tone of violence or unsafe behaviors of various kinds. I'd like to thank Dr. Michael Rich, who's been our guest, and we've been discussing the influence and impact of the media. I leave you with the words of comedian Leo Gallagher. I wish there were a knob on the TV to turn up the intelligence. There is a knob called brightness, but that doesn't work. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and explore our on-demand and podcast features, which gives you access to our entire program library. Until next time, I wish you good day and good health.